0: Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
1: Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead.
2: Before wait, wait, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> before we, how are we doing this? Are you asking the question? I've got a whole
1: list of questions.
2: Okay, well don't get mad. Can I throw? <laughs> you you damn. All all right, are, are we recording this bullshit? Yes, we so. are. Okay, and I'm going to well. play it to
1: let people know how you. All right. You,
2: well, I, that's, I'm glad you're going to play it because now they see what I got to deal with on a weekly <laughs> basis there.
1: Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. (laughs) I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. Mm -hmm. And this is a special Q&A session for a very good reason, because as Dutch Mantel says, if I was any smarter, I'd be stupid. Yesterday, we had a great show, wonderful show with Bill DeMott. It was excellent. One of the best shows I've ever done. And somehow he got lost to my computer and
2: we don't have it. Well, that's, that, you know, when I'm dealing with Texas out there, now you guys understand exactly what I go through. You know, uh, John's a very bright guy when it comes to the wrestling business and when it comes to the Wall Street business. he There's nobody better than this man, but technology was not on his plate, uh, on his course load at Abilene Christian University.
1: The Harvard.
2: I, the I don't South. even think they had. They didn't even have internet. You and Al Gore hadn't invented the internet when you was
1: in college, right? That's right. Me and Al Gore invented the internet years after my college.
0: Yeah.
2: We and then Bruce computers. came
1: along and put social media, and it really screwed it up. I remember computers. I uh, typewriters first started getting better. Not not uh, just <laughs> way before computers.
2: I was good with type. Now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of
1: their country. You were back when you were writing hier- hieroglyphics, weren't you?
2: Yeah, I was back when we were sending smoke signals. Just get it out, (laughs) John.
1: Well, we got a bunch of questions. (laughs) And I want to start with probably the best question. And I got these off of our Twitter and off of Facebook. Rob, and there's like a whole at something, but it went by Rob, asked, why is Tiger King Mr. Briscoe's fault? And there was a hashtag, one of his risats. That's That's what he said, hashtag one of his risats.
2: Well, are you sure you're not the guy that sent the question in? No,
1: no, it wasn't. It was a guy named Rob. Okay. Well, uh, do you know Rob? though? No, right? No, I don't know Rob. He sent the well, question okay. in because
2: you live in with- he But he obviously got that question from you constantly harassing me. Uh, now, now, I'll tell the, my side of the story. Then you can tell the fictional side of the story, your side of the story. My side of the story is, yes, I grew up in southeastern Oklahoma, close to where Joe Exotic lives. But the he was free word. bird. Yeah, the, the meth, bird, meth, meth bird. We can just call him the meth bird. We'll probably get in trouble for that. Probably get sued. I hope you got good attorneys for me. But anyway, I, I grew up in that area. So, you know, they chose that area, one of the most beautiful spots in the world. To film this uh, this this series, and then Carol Baskin, who who has uh, uh, Big Tiger Rescue, is approximately three and a half miles due south of my house there. And I see Carol every once in a while at the, at the old shopping center at the grocery store. And she said hello, Mister Briscoe, and I say hello, Mister Baskin, back. I mean, we we got we say hello, and so. That, that's my extent of, of having an effect on the Tiger King. I was just a, a victim of circumstances where both the major stars ran one of them to the Okie and he's a meth head, but he wasn't original Okie. I think he came from south of the Red River. Originally, he wanted to come up to God's country up in Oklahoma, southern Oklahoma, and made his home up there and started rescuing these tigers. And then, then he got a little, little carried away, as most Texans do. And started trying to profit on 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 these good uh, good animals uh, 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 breed, and so uh, that that is my extent of it. And John has a much better story than what I have about it. And uh, John, go into it. Tell me. It, it
1: Doesn't seem like a coincidence to me, Mister Briscoe. You're by that fifth free bird, to, like Michael Hayes' son on meth, moonwalking around his tigers, and then all of a sudden you move right next to Carol <laughs> Basket. I don't see any. Any coincidence whatsoever in that?
2: Well, uh, yeah, no, I know it's hard for you to see that, you know, uh, through the haze and all that stuff. But uh, facts are facts. You know, let, I'm sure there's other questions. okay? are other questions.
1: You know, we did a, a Michael Cole and JBL show or something like that one time on YouTube, and we went up to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And uh, Frank Gaddy's, is, you know, Frank from Oklahoma and yeah. they had a, a tiger rescue. So we filmed some stuff there. I always supported them. I love, I love what they do. Well, the feds were doing some investigation into them about something. Do they classify themselves as a zoo? Do they classified this. I don't know what it was. It was ridiculous. They do a wonderful job with those animals. And they called us because we said on the video, we were helpers at the zoo. And they said, Are you guys employed? And I said, Mm. You understand this? We had a talking bear. We had Daniel Bryan in a bear costume on the show. And I said, You realize that this is all fiction? And they said, Oh, the show's fiction? (laughs) That's (laughs) that's our federal government.
2: That's our federal government. uh, We're paying for it.
1: All right. Michelle Falconer asked Hey, Michelle. Michelle, she's a great fan and probably a great person. I don't know her. I get a lot of comments from her. seems very nice. She says, uh, what era would you want to be in if you weren't in the era that you were in to wrestle? That's a that's question. Me.
2: Okay. Well, I, you know, John, uh, when you, when you get a serious question like that, you just can't rattle something off. You got to really put some thought waves And that. That's a, that's a really good question. And, uh, I have you I've often thought about it you know there's two answers to it the one answer is man I'd love to be uh working in these days and times and and, and cashing in on some some of the bucks that these young men and women are cashing in on that and, uh, and so it, it's a glorious time to be in the business and uh you know and but also I really think you know I, you know, and you're gonna make some wisecrack remarks, but when I come along, it was really the, you know, the 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 changing of the guard, the Dory Funk juniors, the Jack Briscoe, the Terry Funk, the Hardy Racists. all those guys were just starting to come along, you know, replacing guys like Luther, Gorgeous George, uh, Gene Kanesky, uh, the uh, Fritz von Eric, and uh, Bob Geigle and, and Vern Gandhi. So I come along during during a change of era, but also just like any other era, some of those people are still hanging on. So you got to meet them and you got to share dressing room space with some of the legends. That I remember, you know, I think back, you know, man, you know, and those guys, you know, my my age, group would like to talk about the miles that we put on. Your, your age group likes to talk about the days and the consecutive days in a row they had to work. But these guys back there, you you start to think, and I experienced a little bit of it. Where you you made a lot of your trips by train or by buses. Just think how hard of a schedule that must have been for some of these guys. I mean, I experienced one time I got on a on a on a train in Louisiana, in Mosier City, Louisiana. I went all the way to Wichita Falls, Texas on that train and worked that night, got off the train about 6.30, 5 o'clock, 6.30 in the afternoon, got me a cab over the fairgrounds, Coliseum, and went to the dress room and worked that night, and then got a ride back to Oklahoma City home. So I experienced about you know, I often think you know that was really a golden age right, be, right before my my time uh, frame come in, and uh, just one generation back, I think I think I would have been happier as, as could be, and uh, and I really enjoyed that style because it was snug hard work, you know, and I I I, I love the Dick Murdoch's, the Stan Hansen's, the guys that were right on top of you and you know making you wrestle back and making you fight back you know? Yeah, and I think
1: I'm sorry. And my answer would be uh, one of two eras. I think I think this era because they're making so much money, uh, obviously. But also the era when you had TV first come into existence around Gorgeous George era, Buddy Rogers. I thought that that's a that was a real cool golden age we had. And also the 80s when you had territories. You could go from early 80s. We go from, when you were there. You go from territory to territory and find work and basically travel the world. It was some pretty cool times, pretty cool eras in, in in wrestling. And
2: life was hard then, too, John, as you know. I mean, you know, those the, the territory guys, I mean, uh, you know, some of us were, were really fortunate where we got with a promotion that, that really liked you and and wanted to keep you around. And so they made it worth your time to stay around. But a lot of those guys that you were working with, man, you know, they come in and, and about Six months later, they come up and be shaking your hand. You know, hey, man, it's been great. You know, I'll see you down the road. Where are you headed? Well, you're in Carolina. Well, I'm headed out to uh, to Amarillo or something like that. You know, these guys migrated across the United States. It had to be so rough on their family life and their kids, you know, growing up school to school, city to city. But, man, uh, those guys were the dedicated guys of our bestest,
1: too. Matt Carter asked, the most dangerous crowd you've ever been in?
2: Uh, You know, I'll answer that right off. There's a couple of them, but uh, what I was probably the most scared of my life, I mean, I've been in some situations in Puerto Rico where, where they were after the hills. And I mean, we've all heard the horror stories coming out of Puerto Rico about crowd control down there. I mean, they encouraged <laughs> to be unruly in, in the crowd down there. And it was it was great being a baby face and, and watching, you know. And uh, sometimes you had to jump in the middle and, uh, and help a heel out. But the most frightened I probably ever was that you only get kicked out of this one, I was in uh, Lubbock, Texas uh for, uh Slatton. don slattons out of town a uh, lawman who arrested billy Saul you know you'll know who billy Sol of course I do. Kid I... out is he's a texas legend you know the rest of you young out there can google billy S. but don slatton's the one that uh arrested him so he, uh, the funk's made him a promoter there you know they cap- capitalized on the name there the one night uh, I'm there my brother and I were wrestling the funk brothers and, and needless to say, the place is packed. You know, a bunch of drunk cowboys on a Thursday or Friday night, whatever night it is. There's always a bunch of drunk cowboys in Texas. You can find them anywhere, down local drug store or anywhere. You they're, they're drunks all over the place in Texas. Not that that's a bad thing to be, but uh, <laughs> we we're, we're out. We we work a simple little deal, uh, John. Where Jack goes for the figure four. Uh, on Dory and, uh, Dory kicks him off and Terry puts an elbow up and gets, him. well, that's a hill move. Well, as Terry's putting that elbow up and of course, what's that do? That distracts the referee. So the referee goes over with Terry. Hey, you can't hit him like that. So junior's laying right there down with that to figure four on his side. Just raise his head up. I'm on the outside. Like Terry was, and I give him a big old left knock his ass out. Jack turned around and covers him. One, two, three. Simple ass finish, not a lot of heat. You know, Terry started it and the Briscoe finished it. But boy, those damn drunk ass Texans didn't see it that way. They just come swarming the ringside. So I rolled in the ringside too. And of course, the funks roll out and they're fighting their way through, and that distracts them a little bit. But after they create that path, that path closed up, all those guys are tensioned. There We had to nail a couple of guys coming out, and now that race started getting full, and I'm starting to get, get a little worried. All of a sudden, I see uh, like an ocean, like the Red Sea Party. Damn Red Sea Parts. And I look out, and it's killer Carl Cox. He's got like a 10-foot uh, chain, and he's swinging it around. And I look at Jack. Jack, what are we going to do? And he said, just get underneath Carl and stay as close as you can. So uh Carl, Carl got close to the ring. We rolled out. He cleared that path. where that chain we probably had a 10-foot cir- uh, c- uh, uh, circulation uh, uh, route there. So we were underneath Carl. We made it back to the dressing room. As soon as we got in the dressing room, the hills were trying to kick down the door. Our fans uh, were. They kicked down the door. <laughs> About the time we got the door down, the cops were back there and pushed them back. But I I tell you, if it hadn't been for Killer Carl Cox, I don't know what would have happened. We were outnumbered.
1: We we had in Texas one time, uh, uh, coming back out of the ring, I think we left the Von Erick boys laying, and some fan hit Killer Tim Brooks across the face with a whiskey bottle, and it cut him all the way down his face. And that tough old man, he didn't blink. He beat that fan half. (laughs) Dick Murdoch looked at me. He goes, pile in, kid. We piled (laughs) in, and we fought our way to the back. But I think the the, the the most dangerous probably was in Vienna and we, it wasn't a riot yet, but it got a lot of heat one night. So the local Vienna security wouldn't help you because they're, you know, they're mad at you too, you know, cause you're fighting their, favorites. So I'm trying to get to the back. All the heels have come out of the dressing room to help me get to the back. And I I was not aware that right behind me, somebody had pulled a butterfly knife and apparently he made a big deal of it. He pulled it out. He did it all around. And he's going to stick me in the back with it and Fit Finley sees him. And Fit comes by me and shoves me. And I thought, oh my God, now even Finley's fighting me."
2: me. One guy that can
1: help me. But he's, st- he's saving me from getting stabbed. And when the guy sees Finley, he throws down the knife and runs and jumps over a fence. And uh, that's the last we saw the guy. But that was the reputation Finley had in, in Europe. But I don't know what would have happened, but he was gonna stick a knife in my back. And Finley, uh, wow. Finley came to the rescue. This is John Bradshaw Layfield. One half of stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. My tag team partner, my co-host, Mr. Gerald Briscoe has been telling me forever stance apparel is the best it's cool it's comfortable it's colorful and i thought surely mr briscoe must be exaggerating until i tried on the socks and i realized that these socks cool and comfortable just like mr briscoe and i now i'm sold on the sweatpants the joggers the hoodies the hats you name it stance has gotten me bought in wu-tang clan b tom stevenson collaborations that you wouldn't believe you personalize what you wear the quality unbelievable Stance's philosophy is that you should never have to sacrifice your own individual style for the sake of comfort and now you don't have to whether you're relaxing around the house working out at the gym or running all over town Stance now delivers its signature softness and creativity in a full line of active apparel styles from toe to head Stance has got you covered head on over to Stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Use promo code JBLGB at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with stance. Stitched different.
0: NMLS number 65084, 4 Equal Housing Lender. New Year's resolutions are just hard to keep up with, but saving money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had, pay off your credit card debt, and even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started, and you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com.
2: John, John, I got a question. Uh you know, I've often wondered how was the security or you guys worked the same venue what like seven, eight, nights in a row? Was it the same people? Was it a different crowds? Did you did, did you build a heat as you're going along? How did you guys program those those stops like that?
1: Yeah, that's right. You would have like a. Like in in Hanover, he'd have an eight-week program. So, you'd have an eight-week program with the guys. So, you'd do a tournament, but inside the tournament, you'd have certain angles that would break out. So, you'd have challenge night where I could challenge somebody in the tournament because I'm mad at them, challenge them to a strap fight or challenge them to an American match, which was a uh, 20-on count out on the floor or some type of cage match or or some type of specialty match. Uh, But you'd have the same fans come every single night. So, everything had to be different and everything got built up slowly. You'd save some of your stuff early to to, to do it later. Security was usually pretty good, but that night in Vienna was uh, like a 50 cent or dollar beer night. And so everybody was drunk. It was a hot night and everybody was, you know, all worked up over the heat. And when they would, Otto would send the heels out to save whoever's out there in the ring because you couldn't count on security. Those guys, I don't know what they're making, but they're local guys. They don't want to fight local friends right, yeah. that they know and so Otto would always send out the heels to if somebody was getting too much heat we had to go one time in Vienna and save uh, Finley one time Finley had uh, ref, wrestled an old referee Mick McMichael and just got so much heat and uh, we all had to pile out and make sure Dave got to the back you know and back yeah. then it was man if you know you see the old tape of Terry Gordy pushing that fan down in Texas I mean that's how it was right. you know I mean yeah you know, yeah, you know, it, it
2: was brutal. I mean, I, one of my very first attending matches that uh, when I was, when I was a kid, I think I was still in high school and Danny Hodge, of course, was, was the big hero. And he was wrestling a, a guy, uh, just passed away a couple of years ago. Angelo Savolti, you know, Angelo was, lived to be like a hundred one, 102 years old. Very, very bright man, very good man, but man. He come out to Oklahoma, you know, and he was talking that talk, and you know, you, you realize this is you know early 60s. So, you know, there was still animosity towards towards uh uh migrants coming in. So Savoldi played that you know Italian ma- ma- migrant thing to the hilt and then and, and what a hill he was. So yeah, he, of course Hodge was the was the all-American baby face from Oklahoma and all this stuff and everything. So they had a match. Hodge's dad was smart. Hodge and his dad didn't have a very good relationship. And so I'm sitting in a back row side, and, and Hodge's old man's on the front row ringside. So I, I got the, you on, know, you know, but as the melees happening, you know, I get closer. Hodge is doing one of these supercell jobs for Savoldi. I mean, just supercell jobs. And all of a sudden, Savoldi throws uh, daddy out. On the, on the side where his dad is, and I'm, I'm like maybe 15 rows behind his dad. And when he throws him out towards his dad, of course, his dad stands up and Savoldi, you know, typical hill, rolls out, you know, hey, this your boy? You want your boy? I slapped him around a little bit and then throws him right into the old man, rolls into the ring. By the time Savoldi rolls into the ring, hides his old man in the ring. <laughs> he's got one of those not not big bowie knives, but he's got one of those little sharp ass pen knives, you know, all those country folks he grew up around that. You know, all big carry those little sharp ass pocket knives, right? Hell yeah. He he whoops that baby out, he starts slicing and he slices and those hundred and some odd sets of Danny gets it and he's trying to break break his old man up. The old man turns just in a rage and slices Danny. And now Danny's got 50 cents in his <laughs> damn side of the gas. And I was like, holy shit, man, this <laughs> is And By the time security gets there, the old man had rolled out. Of course, nobody's going to stooge, stooge off Danny Hodges. old oh, man, who was it? Who was it? Well, we don't know. We
1: don't know. He just grabbed through. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <awful. what> a- <laughs> John, Mosier of uh, what is one move that you turned down and I'll answer, I'll answer first. And uh, I hated this because uh, when I was wrestling Cena in like 08, 09, he wanted to put me in Orlando on his shoulders and do a AA to both of us. And I had been hurt so many times. My back was bad. I I, I, I thought I couldn't take the move. And I thought if I take that move, I won't be able to get up. And I, I told you, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll do anything else, but I can't do it. And that's when I knew that it was time to get out of the ring because I'd never turned down. I don't think I'd ever turn down anything. Uh, and uh that really bothered me because I because I wanted to I didn't want it to look like I wasn't didn't want to do something. I just knew I'd get hurt. And that's when I knew I was too old and time time to retire and do a podcast. <laughs>
2: well, I'm glad you did.
1: How about you? Uh, Any moves that you turned down?
2: Yeah, well, you know, you know it's it's gonna sound kind of strange, but you Know, I got a big old ass that Terry Funk called me Jug for a long time.
1: You got more ass than a donkey farm,
2: yeah. It was either, it was <laughs> either Terry or Murdoch, I can't remember one of them. I was Jug I was papoose to uh to uh to uh Murdoch, I think, and Jug Butt to Terry a lot of time, but I, uh, you know backdrop i mean i i hated a backdrop for some reason and i got where i could take a pretty damn working with steamboat and youngblood in carolina i got where i could take a pretty high and pretty good pretty good, good good backdrop but uh the one the one hole that they wanted to give to me and i like i said my I got a white ass ass and uh, was was skin the cat <laughs> now i could i could do the skin to cat but man it looked like a pregnant cat trying to get over that top rope there and I saw it one day. I had a had them had recorded. We were down in the old sportatorium here in Tampa, sportatorium. And so we had a camera set up. So I wanted to do it. They would want me to do it. And uh, and I said, well, uh, you know, I, I did it. And I did it. And Eddie Graham would laugh his ass off every time I, I attempted it. You know, and then that would make me hotter. When you get hot, it's harder to do. So I finally I said, oh, you know, I made it over. I thought it looked perfect. I said, okay, let's take a look at it. So. They played it back, man. It was god awful, and so of course they all ribbed. Can't get that big ass over the top rope. Well, I could get it over there, but it was just one TV quality. <laughs> so that—that's what I always, always when they say, "Do the skin cap, Briscoe." Like, no, this this guy's got too big of an ass again.
1: <laughs> uh, Ian James asked for me. How did I become prosecutor of wrestlers court? I don't know, and
2: uh, I know because. But- uh, 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 a prosecutor? No, that was when you become judge. Because Taker wasn't there that day.
1: Yeah, yeah, to go. Yeah, Taker was always the judge. Hunter filled in a couple times. Uh, Taker. Well,
2: you were, you were you always a talker. I mean, uh, you know, you you were always the one that that was trying to defend or or, or accuse somebody. So they yeah, always like accuse. Yeah, so,
0: yeah.
2: so they 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 put you up there. I think hunter Take our you at that, and he, he made some pretty good appointees. You know, I got yeah. Say.
1: He had the Godfather or Kane was always the belliff. Uh, yeah. we had a lot of fun. A lot of people has been said about wrestlers court over the years, but it was the boys all looked forward to it. It was fun. It was a fun he, time. Uh,
2: and I've even heard some of the boys kind of just you know poop all. I about mean, come on, guys, I mean, grow up. We, it was it was harmless. It was it was for more for morale than I think yeah. it was for anybody else. The office sure did, because when the guys come out of that wrestler's court, they were laughing. They were in a good mood. Then they were ready to get down to business. So it never interfered with the the day of TV taping or anything. And It really frustrates me when I see some of the guys that that, that get down on it. And why? I mean, we're we're, we're working our butts off. And the boys, and, and, you know, well, this guy had to buy two cases of beer. Like, that's, that's a sin. Goodbye to <laughs> the right. bunch of faces of America. You screwed up in the locker room. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, guys look forward to it for weeks. We'd say we got a wrestler's court coming up wherever in Dallas, Kansas city, wherever it is. Guys would look forward to it for weeks. They'd all had planned their defense. They'd planned their prosecution. It was a lot of fun. It was really creative stuff. And it was a good morale boost uh, for the guys and girls. This year, it's time to get off the couch and get back into the bedroom. Blue Chew can help. Guys, we know that confidence can take you far in life. And when you feel confident, you are at your best, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night. So you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we got a special order deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code JBLGB. That's JBLGB at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. The BlueChew.com promo code JBLGB to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, Linda fan, uh, who asked us, who is your favorite riding partner? Oh, well, I always
2: enjoyed riding with my brother cause we had so much in common, you know, and we and uh, we could bitch at each other and, you know, we'd go any further, but other than my brother, you know, I mean, I, you know, we we're both fortunate. We had some good friends on the road, you know, and, that uh, when I, you know, we had, I had guys like Steve Kerner, Jimmy Garvin. I mean, uh, a lot of those guys, Manny Fernandez was a blast, but he was a wild man, crazy man to travel with, but he was a funny man. And of course, I had heart ride, Roddy Piper, Don Morocco. Holy cow. Those were just a few of my favorite ones. And then, then when I went to WWE, of course, Bruce and JR, I always had to travel with them, Pat Patterson, and, and that combination of Pat Patterson, Bruce Pritchard and, and Jim Ross and myself in a car, I mean, sometimes it was unmerciful. And it, it wasn't just on Pat. Or it wasn't just on me. It wasn't just on Bruce or Jr. We, we rotated around where he, everybody got equal abuse, you know. So. <laughs> and well, nothing was, was, was
1: off limits either. What? Yeah, exactly. I had a couple different cars. Not One of my – Favorites obviously with Ron, but uh, we had Teddy and Godfather was most with us most of the time. That was an awesome car, those were just good dudes. But when I first got there, I had good dudes. I had uh, Tom Pritchard, I had Al Snow, Dutch Mantel, one of the most entertaining guys in the world. Uh, Kane was uh, one of our guys. Uh, in Texas, I had Akbar, I rode with Akbar and James Beard, and a lot of times Killer would r- ride with us. Uh, then I got to ride with Dick Murdoch. I mean, it was. It's just a good time. You know, people people ask what you miss. You know, it's like we talked to Bill DeMott yesterday. Yeah. Which it will never air because I lost the recording. <laughs> you know, he said, he said the one thing I miss is this talking to you guys. You know, not just us, but talking to the boys. And that's where the really cool stuff happened because we didn't have Internet. We didn't have cell phones. You know, we just had each other. And we had to entertain each other. And guys were very entertaining.
2: And you can be very creative that I, 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 just a road story, just if if, if I could just just throw something in a very, very uh, 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 popular guy that we get a lot of requests to have on him. We're working on having him, Haku. Now, when, when I first met Haku, he was he was Prince Tonga. He was from the alatonga Tonga, and he was called that was his name, really very creative name, Prince Tonga, you know. So he come into the territory. When somebody comes into the territory that they came in from somewhere else, you just automatically assume that they like you know they're they're able to get around and 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 you know uh be able to get from Tampa to Miami or something like this. He came in he had no car he had he had very few dollars in his pocket. Jack and I always had a policy back in our days and probably even in the beginning of your days they could they uh, they, when you, when you had a group of guys in a car, they did, they charge you what we called transportation fees. And it I mean, I I've seen it from two and a half cents up to whatever it got at the 15 <laughs> cents, you know, when the gas was $5 a gallon. It's ridiculous. You got to go to the damn town anyway, you know, why not? You know, if you're going, you will know, have to have some company. So Jack and I, we always hated that policy. So w- when a young guy would come into the territory, Jack and I uh, had a reputation we'd like to party while we were on the road, you know, have a few have a few beers and everything. That's for open container laws and all that stuff. And but it wasn't before drunk and driving. So we would get a rookie, and the rule was the rookie would have to drive the car for us while we party and everything. So a uh, coop comes in and we had an old guy down there off the you know, X Riser Charlie Lady run the the transportation. He called, hey, Briscoe, we got you a rookie. We got you a new driver. Okay, great. Then we'll be at the office at 3 o'clock. You know, okay. Go down there and that's Haku. We introduce herself. He speaks good enough English to communicate and everything. Jack throws him the cards of his new Bill Blast Lincoln Continental. Haku takes him kind of looks at him. And we don't think anything. He loads his bags in. Get in. We get. I, Jack gets in the passenger side. I get in the back seat. Haku gets in the driver's seat. Haku gets in. He kind of looks over at my Jack, uh, my brother Jack. Well, what do I do next? Jack said, now Where we going to go? I need to put the damn keys in the car." Haku. Haku starts the car off. Takes off. He's driving now. Granted, he's driving a little erratic. Come to find out, this kid don't have it. He's 16 years old. He don't have <laughs> a driver's license. He don't know how to drive. <laughs> He's behind my brother's brand new liquor car now. We had on Highway 60. We proceeded to teach this kid how to drive. To
1: <laughs> well, Bobby Doe asked us, uh, what is a cool Vince McMahon story? Because a lot of people love to you know, bash Vince. You know, is anybody who's you know, in a position of power, people love to take shots at him. What's a cool Vince McMahon story, a heartwarming story? You sort that out, heartwarming. Yeah, I'll be happy to because I saw the question earlier and I thought about it. the best story I've seen on Vince. And you may know the guy. There was an old guy who used to come around when we were in Baltimore and he'd come in with his bag. He's probably 70-something years old. And he'd come in and Tim White would always pay him. And I, I asked him, I said, who is that? And apparently Vince told me later who it was because I asked him, Later, when we were on the plane, who who was it? When Vince's dad ran Capital City Wrestling, apparently he was in uh, the hood, It was in a, in a bad neighborhood. This guy took care of him. Vince said, That song, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown, he said, It might might as well have been written for this guy. And he said, He always took care of Vince Sr., made sure he was safe, made sure that it was fine, the show ran well. And when Vince, for saying Vince Sr., passed away, he goes, I'd appreciate if you always take care of this guy. So he would show up in Baltimore. And he's probably in his 70s. He'd have his bag with him. And he he wasn't going to work, obviously. But they didn't want to embarrass him, just give him money. So they'd show up and say, Alec, I'm sorry. We don't have anything for you. uh, But we want to pay you because you came down today. And that was Vince's way of taking care of him. One time he was late. And Vince pulled him in. He goes, why are you late? And he said, well, my, my car broke down. So he told Tim White to go buy him a car. (laughs) He went out, bought him like a Cadillac or a Lincoln or something. I mean, it was—I just thought it was one of the coolest stories. And it, to me, that says everything about Vince. Vince takes care of a lot of guys and a lot of people, and that was one thing that Vince took care of that nobody knew about unless you just saw it and knew the right people to ask.
2: You're exactly right, and uh, I got a story too, similar to that. But uh, you know. I, i i became i kind of inherited that job of taking care of a lot of these people that Vince wanted to take care of and i w- i was curious like you and i'd try to get to the bottom of the why, why who is this guy and, you know what is he a lot of guys that Vince had that he would just take care of and it lasted up until we went computerized you know computerized tickets in the cash box uh box office really didn't have that much cash but I used some guys would walk in and go, okay, go get go a couple of grand for us going and give it to them. And they weren't looking for money. Maybe they were looking for money. Maybe I was the one that was naive about it, but I'd take care of them. You know, they, they would, you know, be embarrassed or act embarrassed anyway, but eventually one time I gave a guy some money, he said, why do you insult him? I'm like, go get another grand and give to him. But Vance was just like that. But the story that I got about Vance, and his. Terrible way. We we were walking down the down that uh, Dallas Fort Worth uh, airport when the new one opened up. What twenty five years ago? What it was thirty years ago? Forty years? Ago, whatever it was, it just opened up. Eventually, we were coming back before the days, obviously of corporate jets and all that stuff. For for us anyway, so we were changing planes from Houston and Dallas going to uh, Connecticut. So we walked by and this guy. Recognized Vince, Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon. He said, i have a shoe shine. I'm the best in the airport here. So just take five minutes. And I'll have your shoes shining like they never shined before. And Vince stopped. He, he, he went over, sat down in the chair, and this guy proceeded to give Vince a shoe shine. Vince reached in his pocket, he pulled out a hundred dollar bill, hands to it. Oh, Mr. McMahon, you didn't have to give me that. You know, five bucks back there, three bucks for a shoe shine, you know. He said, man, uh, and so we, we started walking. I said, why don't you give him $100? Just curious. He said, I gave him $100. He said, that man will never forget me and never forget the day, and he'll be able to talk about this the rest of his life. He said, I just wanted to give him something he'd be happy with. And I thought that was just so cool. You know, <laughs> give him yeah.
1: yeah, it's amazing when you see so, Vince did so much stuff. You know, I had a charity golf tournament in Texas one time, and he said – uh, listen, he goes, I'm, I'm a bad guy on TV. He goes, I'm going to double whatever money you raise. He goes, but you take credit for it. And he said, I'll fly all the guys in for it. He goes, I appreciate you doing this great what you're doing with charity. He goes, but I'm going to double all the money you raise. And he said, uh, but don't, don't let me take credit for it. You take credit for it personally.
2: Yeah. Hey, it's funny too. You know, we've all been there. You've been there probably too, too many times, you know, some of these, uh, Post-match dinners, you know, where where, where he has somebody called Morton Steakhouse or Ruth Chris Steakhouse, closes the place down after hours, keeps the place open for vets. And Vince has about 10, 10 of his, you know, uh, associates come in, and we all have a late-night dinner at a great steakhouse. Comes time to fill out that tab. You know, a lot of times it's slides over to me or over to Bruce. He quits handing it to Bruce because Bruce, Tipped a guy 25, uh, twenty-five grand or something like that. That <laughs> wouldn't take it back, you know. And I used to tip, you know, I wouldn't tip enough. He'd say, and he'd take it, and he'd cross out mine, and he'd usually double mine. But he would. It wasn't unusual for him to leave a thousand dollars for each employee that stayed after hours at a restaurant to take care of it.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I now mean, I've seen him get off planes, and he just hands out hundred dollar bills like candy. You know, it's uh-huh. just. And he's not big shotting because no, nobody, no, no. Sees nobody sees it. You know, he just walks up to him and hands him very discreetly. he will hand him, but golden
2: golden handshake, as they used to call it back in the old days. <laughs> That's
1: right, <laughs> Jeff McJeff Jeff, who's a, a good good friend of ours. Double J, double what no, now? Jeff McJeff Jeff is what he. says. Oh, wow. we got a triple J, J here,
2: it? Jeff. I've a He
1: asked me, but it's also a question for you too. Would you change anything? So, for me, would you play football longer? Would you play played football instead of wrestling? And for you, it would be wrestling. Would you want to go to the Olympics? Would you want to change anything? My answer is easy. I, I'm happy with the way everything worked out. Uh, you know, I wish I could have been healthier in football and played a little longer, but I, I wouldn't have gotten to wrestling as early. So, I'm very happy with everything. I like the way you and I wouldn't have gotten into wrestling
2: so early. You would have eventually found your way over to the bed, is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> you dang right! I would have. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, you were hooked, man. That's, that's an awesome answer there. You know, I would have. My my choice. I, I certainly wasn't one on an Olympic level. I mean, I, I you know when I was a kid. I mean, I, that was my dream. Was to be a, a state champion or a national champion. My dream because I grew up in an area that had three Olympic gold medalists. When you walked on those bats, that that was your dream of an Olympic gold medalist, and i never never got the skill level to to be in that category there. But at uh, coaching, you know, we all had influences when we were kids, and you know that you know a lot of us that was the first thing we wanted to be, besides a professional athlete, was a coach. You know, and a lot of times, you know, I you know I think man, you know, you know. Cause I, you know, we, we come into this, or I came in this business, anything with an exit plan. I didn't think I was going to spend fifty damn years in this business. You know, I really did. I thought it was going to be the ten years and out and back in Pawhokie, uh, Oklahoma, uh, coaching and teaching, you know, and uh, being happy the rest of my life. And I uh, said, I've been in this business and been happy the rest of my life, but. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm glad I did it when I did. You know, I, rather, I got out of school and in, in December, and by January, I was wrestling. I was because I'd been setting up the ring two or three years before I actually got into business. Of course, when you're setting up the ring, a lot of the old timers come early. They come want to come in the ring and roll around. They'd want you to show them some amateur wrestling. and exchange, They'd show you how to work a little bit. So. I'd already worked, so I didn't have any formal training. When I when I got out of school, I just called Leroy McGurk and said, "Hey, man, I'm out of school. I'm ready for bookings." And that Monday night, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I couldn't believe it. You know, so no, I wouldn't change a thing, man.
1: This is Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. We're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for their best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Citrus Ice Nicotine Lozenges. That's what I recommend to my family and friends. If you use nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use promo code JBLGB at checkout. And I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code JBLGB. Your gift from your friends at Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw.
0: Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to GoliathLife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands, on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. A
1: couple more questions, but one before we get to the last two questions, your friend, uh, Greg, is it Darrow? Your, your friend yeah. that's, uh, from Oklahoma that uh, talks to you yeah. a lot on Twitter? I can't. Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, he asked me if I would change the rib I pulled in Oklahoma when I got stretched by Danny Hodge. <laughs> I didn't know Danny Hodge and your brother were coming in. I knew you could stretch me. He did it a million times. <laughs> but when those guys walked in, I was like, oh, my God, so much trouble. And the answer is unequivocally no. I got stretched <laughs> by Danny Hodge while Jack Briscoe was going, was basically rooting
2: him on. So, no, 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 that's, no. I, I you know, I knew that would be your answer. I saw that question too from Gary, and I'm, I'm glad Gary posted it, you know. But, yeah, Gary, uh, the look on John's face, I mean, he'd come in, and he had the pictures in hand. I mean, he, he was proud of him. Look here, Bresco, we found your state sign, and I think you found Blackwell Exit too. Exit Blackwell 33. and Stillwater.
1: He's yeah. yeah, all so, day driving around. Yeah.
2: Yeah, all day driving around that part of Oklahoma. took you 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they were, proud picture. They were urinating on, on our street, great uh, roadsides there. They had no clue Jack Briscoe and Danny Hodge were going to be at the building that day. And so they'd take them, and they hung them up in the production room. Now, when you have uh, big shots of celebrities come in, the first place they take them, is to the production room to introduce them to the production people and get them passes so nobody is rude to them and kicks them out. So here comes my brother and Danny Ann together. So, of course, uh, the, the production assistant takes them right straight to the production room, and they stand them there while he's getting and There's the bulletin board where it has all the crap on it and everything. And they turn. Jack turns. I could just see Jack turning it. And his mouth dropping open and daddy, daddy looks, oh, they think that's funny, huh? And so they had told the production to who put those up there? Of course they stood you off right away. They didn't stood <laughs> of they off. Did. They did they stood Ron off. They stood you off. Oh you yeah, know?
1: just me. Only me. Yeah. Like, yeah, I all, picture of myself. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. what the people don't understand. It's like I had I got I got so blamed for it, but I couldn't take a picture of myself. Because uh, it was from behind. <laughs> Wait, you know,
2: like several. And this is before the days of cell phones, it was <laughs> selfies, you know? so, That's right. <laughs> you could do. So anyway, Hodge demanded that he be taken to whoever's responsible for this. <laughs> My brother's a great cheerleader for Hodge because he knows the damage that Hodge can do. So and they walk in, and John and I think we're in uh, right of side of production. They walk over the production says. Mr. Hodge, this is who you wanted to meet. So Danny grabs John's hand. Danny also had a way when he shook your hand, he'd reach around and grab your elbow too. So you were you were only not only locked in from the handshake, you were locked in from that elbow elbow lock too. There was no moving. No, and John no. six foot six, six foot seven, whatever the hell he is, three hundred and twenty pounds at that time. Just just a monster of a man. Danny, Danny, poor old Danny, probably 75 years old at the time and five foot eleven 165 pounds. But he got that death grip on John. You could see John's body kind of tense up, kind of pulling back. But when he was pulling those hands, you could see Danny's hands just get tighter and tighter.
1: So bad.
2: And John <laughs> John's eyes started welping up because he didn't want to cry, but they just so uh, you could tell that he was ready to because his cheeks started getting big. Big and puffing out. And Danny saw that. He said, You're going to do that again? Oh, no, sir, Mr. Hart. No, sir, Mr. Hart. I'm sorry, Mr. Bresco and Hart. Let's go over. You can say, John, just run into the bathroom and clean yourself up.
1: <laughs> he got me so quick and so bad. I couldn't work out for about two months on that, on that arm. <laughs> he screwed up my elbow just by grabbing it. <laughs> like, when
2: he grabs it, when he grabs that elbow, so two fingers, that's all it takes. One on the inside, one on the outside. He finds that point in there. There ain't no way that. The
1: uh, the funny part of that story was the Sheik and Rikishi pass us. After, <laughs> <laughs> and the Sheik always thought my name was Brad Shaw. So he yells out the window. He goes, uh, Mr. Shaw, is everything okay? And I said, yes, sir, Mr. Sheik. We're going <laughs> to the bathroom on Mr. Briscoe's hometown. He goes, oh, you're such a fine boy, Brad. And he drove <laughs> <laughs> Crazy story!
2: I love, a loved one when he talks to your dad, oh, Mister Shaw, your your son Brad, such a nice. That's right.
1: My dad, he's not smart to the business, you know. Well, was a little bit, but you know, didn't under, didn't had no idea what he's talking about. He didn't know why he was calling me him Mister Shaw, Mister Shaw, <laughs> your boy Brad, is such a fine young man. Okay, couple more, real quick one here. Sarah Dunworth, is one of our good fans said, do we have any picks from the 70s with the butterfly collars and the but- and the bell-bottom jeans we talked about with Al Snow? I have picks, but I don't know where they are. I do don't know? either. I know. Okay. Last question. I'm uh, sorry.
2: I, we apologize for not being informed on that question.
1: Yeah. If we find them, Sarah, we will post them. Yeah. yeah. I promise you. Because I definitely had both, the big lapel and the butterfly <laughs> jeans. Yeah.
2: I had the bell bottom jeans, John. Uh, I, you know, I come, I come out of, uh, out of school in the sixties. that, I mean, that was, you know, I mean, you can't get any more hippie era than that. No. I mean, I, I had to pay the paisley shirt. for my prom for for my prom. I wore a paisley suit. Paisley, you know, but breed. What do they call bleeding mattress or whatever. It was back of <laughs> yeah. that. you get them wet, and they 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 rot all over the damn place. <laughs> And I was with a girl with white prom dress on, and she wouldn't even let me put my arm around her after a while because every time I touched her, I had one, well, you know, I could go rent one of those $100 ones. I had to go rent the $5 ones because of did the money. <laughs> and you talk about running and saying, and those little $5 tucks, man, those, you it, it was a hard time keeping a date, you know, especially if you want to put your arm around her, snuggle up there a little bit because you'd leave the arm stain you know, on her. So anyway, that, that's what I wore. I wore a bell bottle. Patch, you know, two inch belt, and those, those damn Don Morocco, our brother Don Morocco, he wore those damn high heels. You remember those big? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He, His he, 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 had to be like like doing the clowns or something <laughs> like that. His were like six foot tall. I mean, six inches tall. Like Don, you're already six foot six. Now you're seven foot plus. You know. And, man, he looked like – but he loved those – he loved those damn platforms. I tried to get one one time. My nose bled, and I was got you me know, up there so we,
1: high. You know, Vader had a uh, – he wore lifts in his regular tennis shoes. Because, you know, Vader wasn't that tall. He was a big guy, uh, lovely on. But he was – he wore lifts in his shoes because he was very kind of sensitive about his height. Because I always said how big he was, but he wasn't that over that tall. So we used to take one of his lifts – and we'd hide it in Ricky Morton's <laughs> bag, and Ricky finally came to us. He goes, "You're gonna get me killed." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Leon never sold it. He'd he'd wear it, and he'd walk. you one lift of God. He'd he'd walk where <laughs> he wasn't selling. Never said a word. I'm so glad he didn't find out it was us. Art <laughs> our, our, our kill Ricky. Okay, yeah, and you know,
2: kill Ricky. I
1: mean, I, well, but what what an athletic guy that damn you
2: know, Vader was. I mean, you know, Vader. We 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 tossed name around, but we had a lot of fun with Leon. But we had a lot of respect also for Leon, just being a yeah. sure athlete and 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 you know, that we you know we just know the effort. A man that size doing some of the things that he was. <laughs> Doing defies the laws of gravity. I mean, the guy was just a phenomenal athlete,
1: yeah. And his biggest matches, you know, his like some of his early matches with Sting were just amazing. You know, the matches he had in Japan were amazing. By the time he came to WWE, he was a little long in the tooth. You know, it wasn't quite the same Vader, Good point there, you know, he'd had a lot of really stiff, hard matches, and he was older and he'd been hurt by that time. It wasn't quite the same Vader that you saw back in the early. Liney's late '80s. That was just one of the best big men of all time.
2: Yeah, I, you know that, that, that. That's a good point. There, uh, you know, you're you're the you're the the great technical guy of the group. Write that down. We'll we we'll show some Vader Vader clips on the best of the best uh, stories. Yeah, that's of, right, going Bradshaw
1: because he had some matches with Sting that were just. I mean, they were amazing. Uh, and really
2: some of those good. Japan matches too were just just unbelievable. You know, it'd be fun going through the old YouTube files on Vader and just checking out some of the matches and it and works. just just enjoying his,
1: his his ability. And by the way, uh, for a commercial for best of the best on our YouTube channel, we go over old matches and talk about them and talk about the history of them. You can check them out on our YouTube channel. Last question, and I can't pronounce this gentleman's name. He's from Sports Kita. I met him in person in India, uh, Riju. Dasgupta, I believe. Way to go,
2: John. Way to
1: go. I believe is is, is the gentleman. Really nice guy. He does a lot of interviews. Works with Sports Sportskeeda. Met him over there when I was working with uh, Slum Soccer and some groups. And Lee Gibson both asked the same thing. uh, Going into the Hall of Fame, uh, any favorite Undertaker story that isn't widely known Our favorite Undertaker story? Uh, I got one. I
2: don't know if you was on the tour with the first Kuwaiti tour that we went over to Kuwait where we went scuba diving in the Red Sea.
1: No, I don't think I was. I was on the. I think I was on the Africa tour before that, and I didn't okay. go on to the Kuwait tour. I don't okay. Think.
2: Okay. Well, anyway, we had that tour, we were like five days in that same hotel, and I think actually eight days in that same hotel. And this is just immediately after the the the. the 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 war there and we we're staying at a hotel that was damaged by 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 mortar shells there but you know we were told not to go anywhere not to do anything just and it, and granted it was a beautiful one of those beautiful luxury hotels that you know the the, the hoax puts you into while you're over in that part of the world so we were getting kind of bored so i uh, i you know I'm, I'm a scuba diver and so i you know, the Red Sea is one place where it was on my bucket list, you know, to, to go scuba diving in the Red Sea. Actually, it wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Persian Gulf, where I was in one part of the country, right part of the country, just, just across the, the desert there. The Persian Gulf. And they had dumped a bunch of war and and in and, and the Gulf like they normally do after war to keep the enemy from uh, taking on part and stealing the technology. So... I'd read about that, so I want to go diving. So, I, who am I going to get a partner? So, I look around. at Brian Adams. He's a lawyer. So I figured, you know, he 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 was a diver. So there was a Duke the Dumpster from Miami. Uh, he's a he you know from Miami. He's released around the water. You know, he's not going to be fearful of the water because it's so totally different. So I go around and I ask Mark, Hey Mark, if I put together a dive trip, do you guys want to go? So he said, Yeah. And, uh, and so I finally got about 15 to 20 of the guys just about the entire car. There's a couple of guys that didn't go because they were just afraid to go out on the boat, afraid to go in the water. Yeah. So we went out. So we're out in the middle of the damn Persian Gulf, And all of a sudden the thought hit me. What am I going to do if one of these guys drown? So I'm the only one that's really uh, an experienced diver. Brian Brian been diving, so. In Hawaii, and he was a slave, a sports fisherman, a, a spear fisherman. So but he mostly freed dove and not not with the tape. So and uh Duke's the same way. So right, I said, hey guys, you know, ones that don't know how to dive, you know, and said divvy up the partner of groups of four, you know. So I had, I had four with this guy, four with that guy, four of me and I had to undertake with me. And so I had this old camera that actually you could take pictures, you know. 20 foot underwater, 25 foot underwater. So I actually have a picture somewhere in my files, and I'm going to dig it up one day. Undertaker laying on the Persian Gulf, on the on the floor of the Persian Gulf, and do, doing his setup. <laughs> and that's the most cool thing I got. But I got pictures of us all on that boat getting ready to dive. But if a thought come across. Man, if one of the, we have an accident out here. One of these guys, Vince is going to far my ass, and I'm never going <laughs> nowhere <laughs> But uh, that uh, Mark, uh, Mark is such a natural, but he was and he's such a leader. He's telling that story. He was such a leader on that deal. He kind of, you know, he kind of got me uh, kind of rested in, in the mind, you know, to worry about it. He said, you know, we're sticking with you. You know, we'll follow you. And and he looked at everybody. Don't 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 go into business on your own. Stick in your groups there. So. He was such a leader, you know, on 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 in the ring, in the dressing room, and and and, and a and a pleasure setting too. Uh, he's just that type of person where he's a leader.
1: Yeah, and he led by example. You know, we were in uh, London that time when he got his ear halfway cut off or whatever uh, it was. Right, yeah, he should have gone to the hospital right then.
2: <laughs> no uh, good.
1: But if he did, we were going to miss uh, the charter window to get back to the states, and so he got all fixed up and they kind of sedated him a little bit. That was brutal. That was brutal. Oh, and he got on the plane and flew all the way back across the ocean so that he could have surgery on that ear. Had to be killing him just so the rest of the crew didn't have to spend the night. I mean, he did the – he took a medical chance by doing the right thing for the rest of the crew. I always thought that was – you know, you wonder why people talk about the respect and being a leader. He led by example. You know, he he was the guy that was – he was the right guy and uh, still is. Right
2: He's the right guy to
1: be the leader in, in that whole thing, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I said, it's uh – you know, it's kind of like, you know, you compare him to other Hall of Famers, doesn't seem fair. You, you need to compare him to guys like uh, a Babe Ruth, a, a yeah. Jim Brown, you know. A, a, a guy, guy
2: oh, in it's mainstream it's sports. You're right. I mean, that's that, right. This, this guy transcended our, our, our sport and, and became a pop culture icon across across the world, you know. And in and, and our lifetime, like I posted something the other day, you know, he's a once in a lifetime uh, uh, talent. And we're so fortunate. That it was our lifetime that he,
1: that he appeared at. You know? Yeah, hundred percent. That's why you know when you compare him to guys, you need to compare him to guys who are other pillars of industry mm-hmm. or cornerstones of Hall of Fames and other places. Because you know that was from being a main event from Hulk Hogan to Roman Reigns. That's a, a span that I don't think anybody will ever Ooh. match again.
2: No, be hard.
1: Well, thank you, Mr. Briscoe. That is our uh, question and answer session. We didn't get to all of them. We apologize, but we will in the future, or we will do another one and do it again. So uh, this you can get all of our stuff on anywhere you get podcasts, also on our YouTube channel. We had a wonderful show this week with Bill DeMont that nobody will ever see because I screwed it up. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and john uh
1: get over it man i mean uh you know what you're right you did
2: screw it up and you know what it was probably one of our best episodes we ever had oh it was, it was really good
1: it was really <laughs> good bill is uh such a i guarantee if we can get bill back on uh and get him to tell the same stuff it, you'll 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 come away with it really liking bill Demott just like we do because we know it
0: huh.
2: Uh, well, we liked it before, anyway. Yeah, we oh,
1: yeah, we liked it it's the first time we met him. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. See you next week.